0: with tonight uh, the the preeminence of Christ or the the sufficiency of Christ uh, Christ is all-sufficient in him uh, we have all sufficiency for our salvation uh, and as as we look at uh, this is uh, what we're dealing with tonight is so important uh, so needed here tonight it's needed uh, amongst Christianity I, I picked up a little clip of a of a TV evangelist and I, I was sickened just as uh, I listened to that little clip and uh, just so sad to me because here was a man that was promoting himself and his ministry and so little to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uh, had the Jets and all of these things, but uh, so little uh, just dealing with Christ. And uh, we've gotten away from the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And uh, do you realize that uh, every cult is built upon a man, but not upon Jesus Christ. And if you look at... Uh, at uh, the directions of religions of the world uh, it, it's so important At church uh, our attitude needs to be the attitude of, of John the Baptist he must increase but I must decrease and that really ought to be the heart of Valley Bible Baptist Church And it's not a church that we are promoting it's the Lord Jesus Christ it's the preeminence of Christ it's, it's not a pastor that should be promoted uh, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ our job is to point people to Jesus Uh, Like John the Baptist to say, of the Lord Jesus Christ, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And as John pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, two of his disciples left him in order to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that really ought to be our heart and desire, not that people follow us, but that people follow Jesus. So the preeminence of Christ. Uh, Colossians 1, would you stand with me? We'll read a portion of the Word of God. I want to pick up in verse number 12. That's where we finished up last week, Uh, Colossians 1, verse number 12. uh, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who had delivered us from the power of darkness, had translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And uh, you think about the relationship between the Father and the Son, and the Bible says uh, of the Son, this is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased. Uh, His dear Son. What a relationship uh, there between the Father and the Son. But it says of Christ, His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him, And for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And notice this statement that in all things he might have the preeminence. We're looking at the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Very pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. I'm going to stop with that uh, here this evening. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask his help and his guidance. Take a moment just to yield our hearts to the Lord, to the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for... This privilege of being here tonight, and Lord, thank you. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And, and Lord, through that fountain, though we are headed in the direction of death, when this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, uh, Lord, I thank you for that fountain. And uh, even as we talked about the tombstone, we're kept by the power of God. And oh God, tonight would you have your way in this service and let us take just a moment to bow the knee before you and to give you your exalted position in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated uh, this evening as we, as we look at uh, the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ as we pointed out verse number 18, the latter part uh, says of the Lord that in all things he might have the preeminence. That word preeminence means superiority in excellence. It's uh, superior in rank, superior in dignity or power. And, and it's really the theme of Colossians, as we've said, the, the preeminence of Christ or the, uh, the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see that in chapter 2 and verse number 10. And, and very simply, it's this, that Christ is superior, that He's is over all, that He's above all, that He's worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. I want you to keep your place in Colossians 1. I'd like uh, to show you kind of a similar passage. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Here's a passage that through the years has helped me tremendously and really uh, deals with the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the preeminence of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse number 1, It reads, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And here's a a verse that will help you and protect you a lot. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And you'll find, as we mentioned, every cult uh, will exalt a man or exalt a leader. Uh, But God, you remember this, in these last days has spoken to us by his son. Uh, there's no prophet today that should have preeminence over the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no preacher or, or priest or religious leader uh, that should be given that exalted position. That preeminence belongs to Jesus and to Jesus alone. And it goes to verse 3 who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high being made so much better than the angels, as he had by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be a, a, to him a father, he shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne... O God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. That's the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And very clearly uh, we see in the Bible the deity of Jesus Christ. Now go back with me to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, And and we've talked about this in the past. Even in first century Christianity, Christianity uh, was dealing with some false doctrines, some doctrines that it entered into the churches began to uh, really uh, poison uh, the churches in some ways. And it really seems that in the church at Colossae there was this doctrine of, of Gnosticism uh, that exalted knowledge and taught, as do the cults today, uh, that Jesus is not God. They denied the deity or the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, there were uh, those Gnostics that would teach there were many ways to God, that Christ was simply one path to God, uh, and, uh, but there were many different ways to God, and, and so they, uh, had, uh, they took away from, from Christ that exalted position and did not give Him the preeminent position. They may have given Him a prominent position, but not the preeminent position. Uh, several years ago, uh, I was witnessing... Uh, to a Sikh. And uh, right here in, in our valley, a uh, lot, of, lot of Sikhs. And uh, we got to the subject of Jesus Christ. And he was gracious. We sat across from each other and had a Bible. And we got to the, uh, to the subject of Jesus Christ. And I asked this question to him. I said, who do you believe that Jesus Christ is? And here was his response to me. He said, well, I, I think he was a good man. I think he was a, a good teacher. In fact, I even think he was a prophet and in fact he says I believe he is one of the many ways to God and that was his description of Jesus Christ uh, and his statement to me in, in concluding that thought about who is Jesus he said if it does you good to follow the Lord Jesus Christ or he didn't say the Lord Jesus Christ but if it does you good to follow Jesus then I'm happy for you. But I've chosen a different way, and I believe there's another path in many ways to God. And that was his statement. So it's very similar to the Gnostics. It's similar to what Paul is dealing with here in the book of Colossians. See, many today have a low estimation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible that the cults teach, or the, the Jesus that the cults teach today, and the Jesus of many religions today, is not the Jesus of the Bible Uh, The Jesus of the Bible is preeminence. He's exalted. Uh, He's not a way, but He is the way. He's not a truth, but He's the truth. He's not one of many doors to God, but He's the one and only door. You see, He's the ark. He's the only means or the only method or the only way of coming to the Father. Uh, Jesus Himself said, No man cometh to the Father but by Me. And it was stated in the uh, book of Acts, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none of name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. See, Jesus Christ is not a created being, but he is the creator. Our conviction tonight is that he is almighty God. And uh, we believe that from the, the depth of our, of our teaching. In fact, he is the preeminent being of the universe tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now He's the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. I'm not going to get through uh, this whole section tonight, but I-, I want to delve into into the preeminence of Christ as uh, as shown forth here in this passage of Scripture. And uh, first of all, you will see uh, the preeminence in salvation. And I want you to go to Colossians 1 and read with me uh, beginning at verse 12 and we'll go through verse 14. Colossians 1 verse 12, uh, giving thanks unto the Father which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who delivered us from the power of darkness has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And I want to focus on that here a bit tonight and just look at the preeminence of Christ in salvation. Uh, Man is a sinner by nature. And as a sinner, man is in need of a Savior. Our sin tonight is against a holy God. As a result, only a holy God can forgive us. Only a holy God can restore us. There's no religion or religious teacher or philosopher or preacher or priest that can make us right with God tonight. There's no human effort that can bring us into a right relationship with God. There's no good work or goodness or amount of goodness that can restore us to God. You see, all of these things can, as Brother Louis said today in In the funeral they're they're a band-aid and they simply cover a scar but they do not heal the scar. They do not make us right with God. Uh, All of those things fall short. I want to show you something that uh, keep your place but this illustrates for us the need for the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Go with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter number 2 tonight. Mark chapter 2. And we find in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ the importance of this preeminence in our salvation. It's a very familiar passage of scripture, uh, Mark chapter 2. It's early in the ministry of the Lord. It's in the city of Capernaum. And uh, I want you to to read beginning at verse number 1. I'm going to read several verses here. Mark chapter 2, in verse number 1, again he entered into Capernaum. "...after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straight many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. It's the first bus ministry in the Bible. They, they uh, brought this man, carried him to Jesus Christ. "...and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, uh, they uncovered the roof where he was." And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of Palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, I, I want you to see this statement. It's very important. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of Palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Uh, that ought to be the desire of each and every one of us. To gain the forgiveness of sins. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? It's a legitimate question. Our sin is against the holy God. Here's a man that looked at the palsy man and said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. They, they felt this was blasphemous. Only God can do that. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee? Or to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk? But notice verse 10, That ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed. Go thy way into thine house, and immediately arose, took up the bed, went forth before them all, and so much that they were all amazed, glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Now, I believe here we have in this passage of Scripture a very clear teaching about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a legitimate question. Who can forgive sins, but God only? Jesus never denied His deity, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. An indication of the preeminence and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to give that as a foundational thought as we go back to Colossians chapter 1 tonight. Colossians chapter 1, let's just examine some specific thoughts here in this passage of Scripture as we deal with salvation. Uh, Notice in Colossians 1 verse number 12, and, and just a thought here, Uh, that of the Lord Jesus Christ, He qualified us. What do you mean by that? Giving thanks, in verse 12, unto the Father, which hath made us meet, and literally this means made us fit, or made us qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And we would say of the Lord Jesus Christ that He qualified, or He made us fit for heaven. Now, in high school, uh, I ran track, and at the end of every uh, track season, toward the end of the year, there would be the state track meet. And prior to the state track meet, we would be participating in meets all over the state of New Mexico, and, and uh, there were certain levels. For example, if you ran the quarter mile, uh, in order to qualify for the state track meet, you had to run in a certain time frame. And anybody that ran in that certain time frame or less automatically qualified for the quarter mile at the state track meet. Uh, Then uh, the week before the state track meet, generally we would have a district track meet. And I think at that time, if you placed first, second, or third in the district track meet, then you would qualify for the state track meet. So if you ran at a certain time uh, previous or you made first, second, or third in the district, you would qualify for the state track meet. And only those who qualified for the quarter mile could run the quarter mile at the state track meet. That's the way it worked. And uh, there was the qualification. Well, what the Bible is teaching here is that the Lord has made us fit or meet for heaven he qualified us for heaven through Christ's righteousness all that are in Christ have been qualified for heaven I didn't earn it I didn't deserve it it wasn't my own placement it wasn't a time that I ran it wasn't a good work that I did but it was what he did for me upon the cross of Calvary uh, that he made us qualified through Christ through his blood for heaven See, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that we have an inheritance. Notice this, to be partakers, of the inheritance of the saints in light. If you're saved, we have an inheritance in heaven. Uh, but we also have an earthly inheritance through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, through Christ, we walk in the light. And through Christ, we we know the promises of God. Those are the promises, the inheritance that God has given to us. You think about this tonight. If you're saved, uh, we have been blessed so much through the gift of salvation. Isn't the Lord good to us? Uh, he qualified us for heaven, He qualified us for God's inheritance. Men so blessed in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so He qualified us. Go on to verse number 13. And in verse 13, there's this thought that he delivered us. Who had delivered us from the power of darkness? See, without Christ, we were lost. That word delivered means that he uh, rescued us. He delivered us. Uh, uh, We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were the children of darkness. We were bound and we were blinded in our sin. We were doomed toward hell. We were children of the devil. Uh, But you think about this through Christ. We have been delivered. But it goes on to say, in Christ, He translated us. He says in verse 13, Who had delivered us from the power of darkness hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now that's very important. That that word translated means transported. Or we might put it this way. He moved us from one kingdom to another kingdom. It would be like being transported from Española to Albuquerque. Uh, He transported us from Satan's kingdom to Christ's kingdom, from darkness to light, from death to life, from hell to heaven, from the bondage of the world and the bondage of Egypt uh, unto the blessings of the promised land and to the hope of heaven. Uh, He translated us and that was done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 14, he redeemed us. It says, in whom... We have redemption through His blood. Uh, The word redeem means to repurchase or to release, we might say, a prisoner. To pay a debt that we owe. To pay the ransom. Uh, By His death, by His resurrection, by His shed blood, uh, Jesus Christ met the demands of the law. Uh, The law was against us, but Christ met the demands and purchased us. Uh, he forgave us. Look in verse number 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. You see, through Christ, our sin debt was canceled. The debt was paid. Uh, the past debt, the present debt, the future debt, uh, that debt was paid in full. To, to understand this tonight, to grasp this tonight, uh, Satan can no longer hold us in bondage Because Jesus Christ, through His blood, purchased us, delivered us, translated us from the kingdom of this world, from Satan's kingdom, to the kingdom of heaven. And we have now a new citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that takes us back to the Gospel of Mark. where I started in the beginning uh, where Jesus said to this gentleman son thy sins be forgiven thee who can forgive sins but God only and I tell you tonight that only God has that power and if Jesus Christ is not God I'm of all men most miserable because my sin is against the holy God but see this shows the preeminence of Jesus Christ in salvation only God can qualify us for heaven Jesus did that Only God can deliver us from Satan's hold and power. Jesus did that. Only God could transport us from Satan's kingdom to Christ's kingdom. Jesus did that. Only God could redeem us. And Jesus Christ did that. And only God could forgive us. And Jesus Christ did that. I submit to you tonight that a false savior could not do that. It takes more than a good man to accomplish that. It takes more than a religious leader to accomplish that. It takes more than a philosopher or a prophet or a priest to do that. Uh, the cults can have no assurance of salvation. I've talked to cult members. We had, uh, we had one knock on the door. And I, I just asked the question, do you have 100% sure, uh, sure of heaven? Well, I don't believe in heaven. <laughs> And uh, I only believe 144,000 go to heaven. I'm going to be in, uh, and I mean, just a, a big mess. And so, well, let's talk. What do you have to do? Well, that's why I go out witnessing. That's why I go out knocking doors. And I looked at this uh, gentleman, I said, I am so thankful that I don't have to go knocking doors to go to heaven. But I said, I believe in knocking doors to tell the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's not what's going to get me to heaven. And I'm so thankful that I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to heaven or not. I know that I'm going to heaven and I'm not working for it, that it was paid for in full and able to express. That's because my Jesus is God and he has the power to forgive my sins. That's the preeminence of Jesus Christ. It takes a preeminent Christ to bring about our salvation. I'm grateful tonight that God became man and lived the only perfect life. See, that's the kind of redemption the Bible presents to us. It's a pure redemption. And so we see Christ's preeminence in salvation. Now, look with me, Colossians 1, verse number 15. And let's look at these next verses. And here we see Christ's preeminence in creation. These are very crucial verses for us. In verse 15, of Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, the spirit of Antichrist denies the deity of Jesus Christ. The Gnostics of the uh, Old or New Testament, uh, the Gnostics of, of uh, Paul's day in the Colossians, uh, believed that Jesus was a lower level than God. Uh, they taught that Jesus was a created being. That's almost all of the cults teach that today, that Jesus is not God. They deny that deity of Jesus Christ and they teach that Jesus is created. The Buddhists, the Muslims, the Hindus, the Sikhs that I mentioned earlier, they all teach a lower form of Jesus. They do away with the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Some will even give Christ a prominent position but not the preeminent position and there's a big difference in that. Now Paul shows here the preeminence of Jesus Christ through creation. Clearly we see here Christ's deity. I want you to look again, verse 15. In verse 15, it's evident that Jesus existed before creation. Uh, of Jesus, we read, "Who is the image? It's an important word of the invisible God. Uh, the image, an image in this meaning was an exact representation. We read a moment ago Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3 where it says of Jesus that He was the express image of His person. He was an exact representation of His person. Uh, If you were to look in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Uh, Without Him uh, all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word was made flesh, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18 of John 1, uh, the Son declared the Father. That's why Jesus was able to say, I and my Father are one. Uh, that's why the Gospel or the book of Isaiah is able to say unto us a child is born, unto us a, a son is given, his name is Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And this is why Jesus made the statement, He that has seen me has seen the Father. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the very image of the invisible God. In Colossians 1 verse 15, a lot of people get confused with this thought, but it's very simple as you look at the context here. He's called the firstborn of every creature. It's not referring to time. He wasn't a created being. The cults teach and they take that word, the firstborn, and they would say, see, Jesus was the first part of creation. It's not the meaning there. It simply means that he was the first of importance. He was first in rank. He was the first and foremost. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, Psalm 89, verse number 27, Solomon Uh, was referred to as David's firstborn, but he wasn't David's firstborn. This simply means that he was first in the sense of being given the priority. He was the king, and in Psalm 89, verse number 27, it's also a reference and a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus has the position of authority, the position of priority over all creation. And so Jesus existed before creation. Understand tonight... Before time, before space, before matter, in the beginning, God, Elohim. That word Elohim, God, is one God in plural form. In the beginning, God, Elohim, uh, created the heaven and the earth. He made everything from nothing. That's why in the gospel or the book of Genesis we read uh, of this deity, of Elohim, let us make man in our image. Elohim, one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we have of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was before time. He was before space. He was before creation. And so Jesus Christ has that Preeminency or priority over all creation. He existed before creation. Now go with me to Colossians 1 verse 16. It's very important. Not only did Jesus exist before creation, but He created all things. For by Him, it's very clear, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Uh, Since Christ created all things, he himself is not created. See, a created being could not be the creator. He's much more than that. Uh, This statement in verse number 16, all things were created by him And for him reminds me of Revelation chapter 4 verse number 11 where it says of Jesus thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now when you you consider this that he was before creation that he made all things it's no wonder that when he walked this earth the winds and the waves obeyed him. And it's no wonder that demons bowed before him. And it's no wonder that when he said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus had to come out of the tomb. And it's no wonder that the lepers were healed. And it's no wonder that the blind were made to see and the deaf were made to hear because all power was in his hands. He is the creator. And it's no wonder that death had no victory or no power over the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no wonder that up from the grave He would arise because He is the preeminent God. He is the perfect Holy One. He's the creator of all of the universe. He existed before creation and He created all things. But look with me, verse 17. As we talk about the preeminence of Christ in creation, I love this verse. He is before all things, and by Him, all things consist. One of my favorite subjects in school was science, loved science. And I discovered that all matter is made up of atoms, and that atoms are composed of rapidly moving particles. Electrons uh, constantly rotate around a nucleus. And the nucleus holds protons and neutrons. And uh, when you think about it, most of an atom is air and space. And yet, when you put all of these atoms together, you come up with uh, a book. is everything is in order. And it makes really no sense as I looked at it, at least as I could understand it. Uh, why didn't it all just explode and blow apart and uh, how, what holds it all together? And many have asked that question. What, what holds everything together? And, and, and I couldn't find a good explanation. What holds the moon in the sky? That's it. Why are the stars in space in perfect placements Why do the planets rotate around the sun in perfect order? How does it all work together in precision? Why doesn't it all just blow apart? Just some amazing thoughts. Do you know, our earth rotates once a day. And if you are at the equator with our earth rotating once a day you're moving 4,000 or 1,000 miles per hour. That's about the speed that some of you drive. And uh, the centrifugal force. And uh, uh, Why don't you fly off of the planet? Uh, But in addition to the earth rotating once a day on its axis, we're rotating around the sun once a year. And uh, at that speed, we're going 67,000 miles. Miles per hour. So you're rotating 1,000 miles an hour, moving at a speed of 67. You're moving pretty fast. You're faster than thought you were, aren't you? Moving pretty fast. But do you realize that our solar system whirls around the center of our galaxy at 490,000 miles per hour? You're really speeding now. You're moving pretty quickly. Why? Does it all hold together? you know, we we can't imagine how far this thing goes. We don't don't know how many stars there are. We don't know how far the universe extends out. The further we see, the further we find it goes. And uh, when we invent bigger telescopes, we find that there are more galaxies out there that we had no idea even existed. This thing goes on and on and on, and we don't know how far it goes. But you know, really, uh, the smaller the microscope uh, availability that we find, we find that there are even items that are smaller than our atoms and it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and how small does it get and how big does it get we don't know what holds it together you know science can't give a good explanation but I got a bible that tells me about the preeminence of a savior of Jesus Christ and by him by Jesus all things exist I was asked uh, if I was worried about the climate change I'm not worried one little light over time. because my Jesus holds it all together I made this statement when I was in school they were telling us that we were going to enter into a new ice age it was global cooling and then it went to global warming and now it's climate change you know my Lord's holding it all together we don't have anything to worry about really clearly shows the preeminence of Jesus Christ. You see, only God existed before creation, and Jesus is God. Only God has creation power, and Jesus is God. And only God can hold it all together, and Jesus is God. So, so clearly, uh, to make Jesus less than God is to take away his preeminence. It's, it's to dethrone him. To make Jesus less than God, put salvation in your ballpark. And if salvation is in your ballpark, you of all men most miserable. Because you've got no hope. But the Jesus the Bible presents, he's one that's worthy of being Exalted. So I got a little trouble with churches that are trying to exalt themselves and preachers trying to exalt themselves and uh, people and cult leaders trying to give themselves the preeminence because that takes away from the preeminence of the Almighty God who should be exalted. And we need to come back to this place like John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. See, my Jesus is preeminent in salvation He's preeminent in creation. Not going to get to this tonight, but we see his preeminence in the church. And very quickly, I'll close with verse 18, Colossians 1. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. We'll deal with that later. Uh, But aren't you thankful tonight for a Jesus that is able tonight? Let's go to the Lord.